Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to this EM360 podcast. I'm Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer, and I'm delighted to be your host for this podcast series. I'm Principal Consultant at Metadata Consulting, and we help organizations tell their data story by reinforcing the strategic value of proper data management. In today's podcast, I'll be speaking again with Wim Stope, Product Marketing Director at Cloudera, who appeared in Episode 8 to discuss security and governance. This time, he's joining us to explain the data center of the future by running a private cloud. Hello, Wim. Glad to have you back again. How are you doing? Hey, Scott. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show again. You bet. So kicking it right off here, a lot of organizations with their growing data estates can't rely on public cloud alone. What is the current landscape and the challenges they face? Ah, great question to open. Thank you. Um, Well, (laughs) landscape and challenges, uh, where to begin, right? Um, I I think the best point to to start is to talk about change and, and change as being a constant in organizations. And data growth is no exception in that regard. The World Economic Forum estimates that globally, by 2025, we have 463 exabytes of data created each day. And perhaps the past year has only accelerated it because we all work from home, we live our lives remote, although thankfully that's changing. We click and collect, 5G is being rolled out all over the place, and it all does one thing, it generates more and more data. And the makeup of that data is changing too. It's no longer a discussion about am I dealing with structured or unstructured data, but what a decade ago was a 70-30 split between raw data and refined data, it's now 20% raw, 20% refined, 45% transactional, 10% optimized, 5% derived. So that makeup has changed considerable as well. And what's more, not only have more data, but the data and the analytics that work on it are literally spread all over the place and they create silos inside organizations. It's on-premise, it's in one or more public clouds. And although 85% of organizations consider hybrid strategical and practical, but it means that each infrastructure and system has its own framework for doing things from a security and governance perspective, which we spoke last as well. So. Take that growth in data, take that growth in variety, in analytics, and take the growing market pressures to get the insight faster than ever. That means you need to get many more users, access to much more data and analytics faster. And doing that across such a hybrid landscape, that's what's hard. So there's a lot of different vectors going on at the same time. More data in more places and more people who need better access to it in a more consistent way. It's a big challenge for a lot of enterprises, I'm sure. So absolutely. what are some of the drawbacks of public cloud then from an insights perspective? Right. And, and you would think, indeed, if I have more data, I, I need to give it to more people. I get more processing power. Public cloud is a, is a great solution. And, and no doubt it is as well. But it's, again, because you have more than one public cloud or you use more than one public cloud service, you create those silos. But even if we take all that off the table, add to that the increase of regulatory compliance. It means you need to have data sovereignty. Data needs to remain in a very specific location. It can't just move anywhere. And 
local cloud data centers, of course, they go some way towards it to say it needs to be in this country or in this region. But then there's also pricing when it comes to public cloud. Many different services all have their own metrics and ways of being charged. Some of them are, are based on processing power, others are by storage, others again by the number of API calls that you make. And big organizations like Adobe Systems, Capital One and Pinterest, they saw their average cloud bills rise by 59% in 2017 and 2018. Yet without the accompanying business benefit, it is hard to get pricing right and an insight into what you're going to spend in public cloud. And it may also hang together with the fact that about a third of all public cloud usage is, is wasted. It, it goes up in digital smoke, if you will. So cloud is okay, but all cloud, that's not what an option is for many organizations. Plus, what do you do with your existing data center investment? You just scrap it? No, let's leverage it. Different pricing models, the complexities you, you share in terms of this landscape has to be mind-boggling for some of those enterprises out there. But it's mandatory. They really get their arms around this. You know, if you think about the data center of the future running on a private cloud, what is this futuristic utopia in terms of the benefits it brings? I, I like I like that <laughs> futuristic utopia. I was thinking of Nirvana as well. Either um, way. <laughs> so the one thing that public cloud is, of course, extremely good at is that flexibility and that scalability. You you can you can size your resources as and when you need it. So what if you could have that flexibility and agility, but with your existing on-premises resources? Also bringing with us the control, even a completely air-gapped environment, if you will. That is exactly what a private cloud capability brings. So the benefits then are, are all related to that flexibility and scalability. First of all, remember, more data, more use cases, more people. You need to spin up and deploy those use cases faster. It needs to, it needs to go down to minutes. And with a private cloud, you can do that rather than the, the weeks it has taken before in order to create a new environment, make it available to the end users. It's now down to minutes. And because you can also put the, as IT, you can put the guardrails on how much resource a user can and should be able to use, how they can and should be able to scale their analytics what data they can and cannot access, again, listening back to our, our last conversation, it makes self-service an opportunity. It makes self-service a, a possibility inside an organization. And, and that, again, it accelerates and it streamlines the release and, and it reduces the time to value of getting more data, more insights to users so that they can drive more value. So the first one, deploying those use cases faster. The second one, is because in private cloud you have, as in public cloud, you have very strict compartmentalization, it prevents resource contention. Many of the customers that I speak to, they talk about how uh, one user from one department with one query can just hog all resource in the complete cluster and make the experience uh, absolutely dismal for everyone else that is trying to do any queries or, or get any insight. So, by preventing that resource contention, you prevent those, those noisy neighbors. And as an organization, you can meet your SLAs. You can meet the, the, the minimum requirements that you have in order to get to certain insight. And then finally, you can get the tools that you need on the versions that you need. 
Within organizations, there are different groups of people. Some who want to go very fast and always have the latest and greatest version of any particular tool. Now, I'm thinking particularly around data scientists. If a new framework is out and it's going to help you get to a model and get to insight faster, they want to use it. And con contrast that to those users that are, are risk averse, that, are, that don't want to have too much change in the, the way that they, they do their, their work, to do their analytics. They don't want to rock the boat. Well, right now, you can only upgrade everybody or nobody. Upgrades of these on-premise data and analytics platforms are, are typically very long and drawn out and risky affairs, which means organizations don't like doing them. They, they only do them once a year, not much, not much more frequently. But because of the capabilities of private cloud, you can upgrade individual workloads. You can have one user use the latest version of Spark while another one is on a much older version, but it works for them and it keeps their deployment stable. So those three capabilities, deploying use cases faster, preventing resource contention, and doing upgrades out of step, those are tremendous benefits of a private cloud deployment. They sound really foundational. Those are the kind of considerations that people should be looking at from the get-go at a strategic level around, especially around, as you said, flexibility, scalability. It seems beyond targeting a specific use case. It's, am I ready for any use case that comes up? And I love this idea of noisy neighbors. I'm sure a lot of people suffer from that too. <laughs> What do organizations need to be considering from an implementation standpoint, but also around the idea of future-proofing what they're putting in place? Absolutely, yeah. So I, I think it is important to realize that um, either all public cloud or, or all private cloud is, is not going to be your, your end state. There is always going to be that mix between high between on-premises and public cloud. And I think that is what you need to aim for. You need to have a platform that will allow you to, over time, change with what your business requirements are. And just to take a step back, typically organizations, when they deploy a new analytics system, they have two opportunities in the life cycle of that system to decide how and where they platform it. It is when it's rolled out first, you make your best possible guess about what infrastructure you're going to go with and how it's going to scale. And then maybe at some point, if you replatform, you have another opportunity to, uh, to, to make a new choice. But our business needs, they change faster than that. <laughs> Looking at the, just the last year, it's, it's been tremendous how much that has accelerated. And although I'm not saying that on a day-to-day -day basis it changes, but what today may be best might be most economical, but tomorrow best may mean more performant, most performant even, more resilient. Or I'm also talking to customers who are considering what the, the green credentials are of the infrastructures upon which they are deploying these systems and analytics. So to have that opportunity to continually make a choice to deploy best you need a platform that can support that hybrid range of, of public and, and private cloud resources and allow you to seamlessly shift both data as well as the analytics that work on it to whatever suits your business, whatever is best for your business. And that's a degree of freedom and flexibility that organizations so far have never had. Imagine what that would do if they do. Could you go a little deeper maybe in this idea of what do you think people need to have in mind as they first set it up? I mean, you talked about 
you know, business changing much faster. I like how you said, look, you don't have to decide. It's going to go all in public, all in private. The green credentials, which I think is, you know, a bigger and bigger aspect. Is there anything more you can dig into in any of those areas? Because I find a lot of that fascinating when people try and figure out these requirements. Yeah, sure. And in part, a lot of this this insight is going to be be driven from how you're using the platform as well. If an organization, as an organization, you are you are deploying these analytics, you are gathering a tremendous amount of operational metadata on, on what ran where, what was the infrastructure, how much data did you have, how much did it cost. So you can you can start to get insights and, and the platform can start to make recommendations as to what could be deployed better somewhere else. Um, for, for some of those organizations, it may be as innocent as bursting some of the workloads to cloud. You may have your existing on-premises private cloud deployment, but at some point you simply need more resource than what you have in your data center. Being able to deploy to a any combination of public and private cloud, a hybrid cloud, allows you to just for the for the day, for the week, for the for the hours that you need it, to shift off some of the data and workloads to public cloud to supplement the existing on-premise resource that you have. But to take that step back and, and look at it more from a strategic perspective, if you make a choice for any one on-premise or, or public cloud vendor for that matter, and you, you're invested in, in them, actually getting out of a particular service is, is pretty hard. It's pretty difficult to do. It's typically a, a complete new development, redevelopment of the system and analytics that you've just deployed there. You need to bear in mind the, the, the way that that is going to be shifting or potentially shifting inside your organization. What today may be a remit to, uh, and I, I hear this from, from a, lot of, a lot of customers, a remit, the remit is everything needs to go public cloud, public cloud first. But one public cloud over another public cloud, there are, there are pricing differences, there are differences in fun- functionality. You may, you may need to shift at some point. And to make the choice now with the end goal or knowing that you need to shift your data and analytics at some point, that is what is going to help you make a, a more future-proof choice, if you will. So with that, when, when we think about how organizations deploy these data and analytics, we think about it in, in the sense of a, it's an enterprise data cloud. It is a, it is, it's, not a, it's not a product, it is a concept, it is a market category, and it talks about in order to, to have these efficient deployments of your data and analytics, you need to have four key characteristics. You need to be able to, first of all, be able to deploy to any infrastructure be that in public or, or private cloud, hybrid cloud. You need to be able to provide the analytics to meet the needs of the complete data lifecycle. If I want to, as a telco organization, for example, if I want to be able to better identify customer churn, a better data warehouse alone, regardless of where I deploy it, is not going to cut it. I need to be able to ingest data, which is more and more coming in a real-time fashion. I need to do data warehousing, yes, but I also need to drive it to, to machine learning and data science so I can create models to recognize those customers looking to churn. And then between all of these deployments on any infrastructure, between all of these analytics to meet the needs for the complete data lifecycle, I also need to have that consistency of security and governance for the data. A, a define once and have 
pervasively applied rules on who can access what data and in what format it should be. And then the last characteristic of the enterprise data cloud, that should really be in a platform that's open. And that doesn't just mean open source. Yes, open source has tremendous benefits in terms of its, its innovation, but it's also open for integration. This is something that should be based on, on open standards and open frameworks so that it integrates with the landscape of existing tools like BI tools that you already have inside your organization. These are four great points here, and I think they bear repeating there in terms of deploying to any infrastructure, providing analytics to meet the data lifecycle, the consistency for security and governance, and this notion of an open platform, especially for integration. So great stuff here, Wim. Listen, talk to us about the, the data analytics side of things in terms of whether data analytics on-prem can behave like it's public. Right, yeah. And, and I think... If I have to summarize that, I think it comes down to, to three things. There is, there is functionality, self-service, and efficiency. And first of all, that functionality. That really comes back to the point I, one of the points I just made from the Enterprise Data Cloud. You need to provide the analytics for the data lifecycle. Uh, more and more of our data is coming to us in a real-time and a streaming fashion. It's very different from when you're trying to ingest data in a batch fashion. So we need to be able to, to do just that. You still need to do data warehousing, but in order to become a data-driven organization, bringing machine learning and artificial intelligence to production at scale is what makes you successful. But also, once you've deployed your first model, that's, that's not the end of the cycle, that's the beginning of a whole new cycle. That's on the analytics side. And secondly, we also need to look at what's available from a resource, a processing power, uh, and specifically, I'm, I'm pointing that to the architecture. GPUs are becoming much more reasonable in, in its pricing, where previously GPU servers were the, uh, the, the reserved for, for very big organizations with very deep pockets. Uh, the, the recent releases by the likes of NVIDIA have certainly made it available to, to just about every single organization. And many different workloads, like machine learning, of course, but also like data engineering, they benefit tremendously from, from being deployed on GPUs. So you're going to end up in a, in a landscape that potentially allows you to take advantage of mixed architectures, both CPUs and GPUs, and flexibly assign workloads between those. So that's on the functionality side. Secondly, self-service. If I want to make more data available to more users, I need to give them access to just that. And uh, as we spoke last time, the security and governance consistency that we deliver in the platform already allows you to open up more of that data to more of the users without fear of, of doing that in a, in a non-compliant fashion. But the same should apply to the analytics. Traditionally, in organizations, when a business user needed more data or more analytics, they went to IT and they said, can I have and IT would suck their teeth and go, ooh, it'll <laughs> take a while. And about four to six weeks later, the, the data or the, or the analytics would, would turn up. And perhaps by that time, the need had already passed. Well, if we want to be more agile as businesses as well, if we want to, to react faster to, to changing circumstances, if we want to be more innovative and differentiating, we need to bring these data and analytics to the users as well. But of course, within the guardrails that IT sets. And then lastly, there is that efficiency, making use of the resources you already have. Traditional on-premise deployments, it's quite shocking because you need to size them for the, 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 the largest possible workload that you're going to be running on them. 
But that's only going to happen once in a blue moon. And as a result, resources are sitting there utilized about mm, 35%. Whereas with a private cloud, you can drive that utilization and you double it to 75% and beyond. And also, by being able to flexibly and in an agile fashion, scale the uh, the resources that you're assigning to these workloads, you get more bang for your buck. You drive the ROI for the hardware investment that you have. And that is exactly what a private cloud built on a container cloud makes possible. It, it provides that abstraction layer between resources and the analytics. And that's exactly what public cloud uses as well. But now you can use it on-premises. Functionality, self-service, and efficiency. Who can argue with that? Really, those are <laughs> core, core ideas as well. So let's dig a little deeper here into the CDP, the Cloudera data platform. Can you outline the challenges private cloud addresses around cluster sprawl, upgrade complexity, and missed SLAs? <laughs> yes, uh, we, we hear about those an awful lot, but let, let's, let's just drill into what are uh, cluster sprawl upgrades and, and miss SLA, right? Let's drill into exactly what those challenges are. I think, first of all, cluster sprawl. If you think back to those, you said the noisy neighbors, if you think back to the, the time it took to add new resource, that lack of elasticity, cluster sprawl is really something that organizations, IT organizations typically, they, they come up with in order to combat that resource contention. Because what they do is rather than putting a new use case on an existing cluster and just creating, creating more resource contention, they simply spin up a new cluster. They create a, a new ring fence set of resources where they copy the data to. And it's, of course, first of all, if you copy data, the moment you copy something, uh, it has the potential of getting out of date. You, you spread the potential for exposure. That's a risk, but also you're adding tremendously much more from an operational perspective. You need to manage and maintain that cluster. It's very costly. The upgrade complexity, I briefly referred to that before already. You have the, the different kinds of users inside your organizations, the data scientists that want the latest and greatest and want to go fast. And then there are those users that don't want to rock the boat and stay with the versions that you're at. Yet, in traditional environments, everybody needs to be upgraded or nobody gets upgraded. And it's a, it's a risky and drawn-out affair. And then lastly, those missed SLAs. Because you cannot ring-fence unless you resort to creating a new cluster, because you cannot ring fence the resources allocated to an individual workload, you sometimes are going to have this, this one user that sucks up all the, all the performance in your cluster at the detriment of everyone else. And it is the containerization that a private cloud brings that addresses just those things. First of all, it ring fences your resources. There is no risk of one user bringing that whole system to its knees. If you can use 100, 100 processing power and 100 storage, then that's what you're going to be guaranteed. It also allows you to do independent, independent versions upgrade because every single workload is running in its own container. Those that want to go fast, they can go fast. They can upgrade their Spark version to the latest one if that's what they want without impacting other users that are running in their own containers. And all that adds to preventing that cluster sprawl. I've got my ring-fenced resources. I can have the version, the latest version of the tool that I, that I need so I can be innovative. I don't need to copy my data anymore. I don't need to create new clusters. And I can scale them up 
as well as down so I always use the right amount of resource more efficiently. That's the benefit of private cloud. A lot of great benefits there. So, Wim, just kind of wrapping it up here, I got one last question for you. Do you have a use case that ties together everything we've been discussing today? <laughs> just one? One magic <laughs> way to just, you know, get Nirvana <laughs> utopia approach here. <laughs> that one killer use case that pulls it all together. Definitely. And, and I think it's a very, it's a very topical one as well. Um, there's, a, there's a global pharmaceutical organization who, who looked at how they would use, be able to use private clouds uh, for, for their operations. Um, and, and they needed exactly that data lifecycle. They needed that range of, of analytics, but it won't surprise you that, of course, they're very focused on data warehousing and machine learning. Well, at the same time, being a very highly regulated industry, they're also very keen to have consistent and single security and governance. So that's, that's the background against which this organization operates. And deploying a private cloud in order to do what they do, they saw tremendous benefits. So let's start with the first one of, of the, the, the drug discovery pipeline. It was, I find it shocking, but every single time you, you go and, and try and find a new drug or, or find a new cure, there's only about a 12% chance that the research project that you start will actually come to fruition and will deliver something of value. So the, the speed and the quality of that drug discovery pipeline is, is absolutely crucial. And with each phase of the development process, there's, there's an, a, a drop-off in, in the odds of success. So the faster you do it, the faster you know whether or not you're going to fail or not, and the faster you get to a cure as well. So one example of that acceleration is the, the traditional genomic data analysis tools would have taken 80 years to complete one of the studies with. But by using our platform, they were not only able to run those genome-wide association studies, but the timeline for completing it was reduced to just a few weeks. So that is a, that is a, tremendous, a tremendous accelerator, and especially in the time that we find ourselves now, being able to, to get to, to new drugs is absolutely crucial. The second one all relates to the self-service access to data because that lowers the barrier of access, accessing data without sacrificing security and compliance. And they found that by deploying our platform with that consistent security and governance, they were able to make 97% of all data visible to the users inside of R&D. And that gives the scientists the capability at the fingertips to deep dive on pharma analytics with any data, not just what IT allowed them to use. And then the last element is, is really about bringing, leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning. They have models that mine analytics-ready genetics and genomics data to highlight any insights. There are models that allow them to identify study targets that have a higher propensity for seeing the program through. And that, again, increases the drug development process success rate. So... I think as, a, as an example, uh, this, is, this is one customer success story that has it all. That's a great example. And 80 years is definitely not an acceptable SLA. No. So good to, good to hear that you no. helped through that one. I'm sure you got plenty more of these stories, Wim, but we are out of time for today. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Scott. Great to talk to you. So thank you again to Wim for your thoughts on this episode on the data center of the future and the benefits of running a private cloud. 
Join us for the next episode when we look at Enterprise Data Cloud in action with some fascinating use cases with Paul McKay, EMEA Cloud Lead at Cloudera. Until then, this is Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer, and for the folks at EM360 and Cloudera, thanks for listening.